Welcome to another episode of A Pine with Shoney B. Thank you all for your shares and continued support of the podcast. I think it's guests like we have today that are getting your attention and getting the interest going. I'm coming to you today from Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina. We rarely hear about uh, all that's happening in this city, in this country that's rebuilding itself after a traumatic uh, end of the last century. And we certainly don't hear much about the advertising industry here. My guest today is Amer Merzeliak. 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 This is my eighth attempt at saying that surname, and uh, every time I get it slightly wrong, but he's been very patient with me. It's getting better. It's getting better. Amer is a art director at Fabrica. Fabrica is, uh, and I'd urge you to take a look at their website, very professional. They are one of the biggest independent local Bosnian advertising agencies. And Amer is their art director, and he has been with them 17 years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I met Amer two nights ago at the launch of something that was he's doing independent of his day-to-day job. He's doing, you're doing a master's. Yes. First, I have to apologize to your audience for my English. I probably sound like East European villain from the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's on the podcast. That was fun stuff that I was doing for my master's degree, for my education on Academy of Fine Arts, and that was the rebranding of History Museum of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which resulted in that exhibition of new visual identity and posters that were done as a communication material for, for that museum. I was at the launch of this show that was put on the other night at the History Museum of Sarajevo and uh, Amer produced a series of very, I think, quite challenging posters with very provocative imagery and kind of tempered with quite important and intriguing quotes from famous people. Give me an example of one of the posters that you did. History never looks like history when you're living through it. It's done uh, in combined with the sign Watch out, sniper! That was part of our iconography during the war. You know, yeah. there was probably the only place in 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 the world at that time. Now it's it's reality. Probably in Syria, we had um, almost the traffic signs that were saying uh, that were pointing at the direction of snipers. So one of items which are in that museum is that sign so I created basically you have to be aware of first of the history of that museum it is formed by former communist authorities in order to glorify socialist revolution, partisan struggle communist party and it served that purpose for 40 years so it was very Propaganda, uh, propaganda yes. institution. You saw that building. It was mm-hmm. one of the masterpieces of modern architecture. So it served that purpose for 40 years. After first democratic elections, that place was forgotten. So it's, it's very hard for those listening to, to have any conversation with anybody in Sarajevo or Bosnia without referring to the war. And Amer will talk a little bit about that later and his experiences in it. But We've ended up in a situation where the, the country itself is pretty much at peace. Uh, and there are three primary ethnicities, I guess is the word here. There's Bosniak, which would be 
Bosnian Muslims, is that correct? Yes. Then we have Bosnian Serbs. Yes. And we have uh, Bosnian Croats. Yes. They all speak the same language, although they call it different different things. And this was the three types of people who were all fighting viciously against each other in the 90s. And now they, they have a new system of government where they change. One of the leaders becomes the leader every four years. So this museum is more of a Bosniak museum, is it? It has that image, but it is a museum which really represents the history of the whole Bosnia and Herzegovina. The majority of the items there belong to the period of Second World War, but it also has a lot of documents that witness the founding of the Bosnia as as a state. For example, that was very emotional for me when I found it in, in, in their basement, it's called postcards from the concentration camp Yasenovac. It's literally the cards which prisoners have ability to send to their families. Usually they contain words like send me food or send me some clothes. That was a privilege to political prisoners at Yasenovac concentration camp, not for Jews. But in each word of those postcards you can see the struggle to stay alive. So you can't convince me that those cards uh, belong to any of the uh, uh, entities uh, in Bosnia. It, it's it's just human stories. Amr is, is in his mid-40s like myself. I said that because he's actually a bit younger than me. <laughs> uh, but he uh, was a young man when uh, war broke out. Tell me what it was like in the t- period maybe before the war, war. What was it like growing up in former Yugoslavia um, and, 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 you know, what it was like for you as a kid? Well, now you have a situation where older people are very nostalgic about those uh, times in former Yugoslavia. Young people don't remember it. I remember only fun stuff, you know. I remember football league. I, I, I remember Olympics. Yugoslavia at the time had a great soccer team. Yeah, exactly. My football team, Jelo, was in in semifinals of yeah. UEFA Cup. So we had um, great soccer, we had great movies, great music, and so on. So some people are feeling nostalgic about that. Myself, I was in high school when the war broke out. So Yugoslavia was was sort of the the western one of the western fronts for the eastern communist bloc. Okay, it fell apart probably when the Berlin Wall came down. The ladies, but he, so so and it, you know the whole of Yugoslavia is a sort of an amalgam of what is now six different countries, seven different yeah. countries. But but at the time there was no sense of that, or was there? Yugoslavia was never part of that Iron Curtain. It, it was never part of Warsaw Agreement. People here were not stuck like in other Eastern countries. We had a passport and ability to travel wherever okay. we wanted. Okay. We had a, social, a socialist government, which was run by, by one political party, Communist Party. During the 80s, you could form your own company. We had private ownership so it would be more like China now, say. Let's say like a China now. Right, okay, okay. Like a China now. Right. But at the time, as a kid, there was yeah. no sense of any of the trouble that was going to come. Like no. you, you didn't know who... No, there was no, no especially ethnic. from my point of view, you know, I come from a family which was never into politics. 
no one was ever part of communist party you know yeah. the mixture of the population guaranteed that nothing like that could ever happen and imagine the surprise when it all happened it wasn't happened during the night there were wounds that lasted from world war 2 But it goes back to your quote about you don't understand history when you're living through it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. So all this exactly. is happening, and now you look back and go, holy crap, that was holy just... Holy crap, yeah. exactly. I mean, there was a war around us, and we didn't realize the importance of the moment. When you're living through it, it's just a struggle to live another day. Yes. Yeah. Now, from uh, this distance, it looks like we, we've Mad. written history, yeah. Yeah, you know. So just briefly, th things like uh, the, the whole country fractured open, uh, Slovenia became the first to break away, governments of uh, Radic and, Mil and Milosevic, is that right, in Croatia and um, Serbia, uh, they were kind of at odds, the two big countries, Serbia wanted to take dominant power, in the middle was Bosnia full of some Serbs and some Croats, so the whole thing descended into civil war, there was literally the last, well apart from maybe South Sudan, the last ethnic cleansing stroke genocide happened here. It will be a blight on the European countries like my own country, Ireland, like the EU, as to the inaction. Uh, there was terrible atrocities at Severnica that went uh, past Dutch soldiers of the UN. There was just a whole pile of atrocities. I don't really want to go into them too much. But suffice to say, the whole country disintegrated and it, it got really, really nasty. Sarajevo itself is a city that's based in a sort of pudding bowl is surrounded by kind of smallish mountains and literally the people of Sarajevo during the siege of Sarajevo were stuck in the middle of the city and couldn't get out and were being shot at by snipers from on high and a lot of people lost their lives so it was a it was a mess you joined the army at the time yeah I was what was, I that was like? 18 <laughs> not fun I bet it wasn't fun yeah. were you surprised you survived Well, at that time, you're not dreaming. Uh, you're not thinking about it. Maybe now, from a distance, when I'm thinking about it, uh, I was a couple of times, a dozen of times, so close to that that I wonder how I survived. And it's not just my story. Every citizen of Sarajevo was at some point faced with near-death experience yeah. during that war, you know. Think of that days, yeah, I'm, I, I'm surprised. But when you're living like that quote, when you're living through it, it, especially when you're living it during the period of three and a half years, a couple of months more, then it becomes your reality. You yeah. just don't think about it. You know, you are surprised when you see traffic light on TV that works. You know? Well, I mean, it was, I mean, just from my memory. So I would have been yeah. in Ireland then. It, you know, again, you're living through it just as a person watching TV and here's the latest country that's going yeah. mad. But yeah. there were these evocative pictures of people running across streets trying to yeah. get loaves of bread to their house and getting shot at, like clearly civilians, like young girls, young boys. I mean, I talked to a lot of my friends about it who are, you know, you know, some of my friends who are here. And really, there's a, there's a sort of a embarrassment. And I yeah. think it, it, the rest of Europe will look back, particularly the French, Dutch, you know, you know UN, a lot of it was, was just, uh, I don't think it would, I'm not sure what would happen now because I think that what, what's missing from that time is the internet. And I think the actual, yeah. the whole world would have just yeah. gone around this a lot quicker than it did because inactivity and lack of knowledge, right, was one of the major problems. When it started, you had that feeling that you are on the right side, that you're fighting for the right thing. 
and you have impression that whole world is talking about Bosnia. It took us a lot of time to realize that no one gives a, a damn sure, about yeah. that. Everyone in the world was living its, its own lives. And I especially realized that during, uh, let's say, Afgan- Afghanistan, Ir- Iraq, and, Syria, and Syria yeah. crisis, it's just like it is, you know. Yeah. Most people just want to yeah, yeah. ignore it. Most it's too depressing or whatever, it. yeah. That was our reality, you know. At some point, you get used to run, not to be to be hit by a sniper. At some point, during three and a half years, it's normal for you to go to find water, to find food, to yeah. go on the front line. You just used to do that. Yes. Eventually, they were uh, finished, and as usual in these situations, there was a cobbled together peace process led by Madeleine Albright, the Americans, Dayton Agreement, etc. Anyway, that was 20 years ago. What happened to you after you, the war finished? You left the army, presumably, and how yeah. was the... What, what, what was it like getting back on your feet as not just yourself but as a, as a, as a city? Well, I was part of the of the army like all the other Bosnians. Your audience can't see it, but you can witness that I'm not usual Rambo type of guy. I look <laughs> nothing like professional soldier. <laughs> so uh, after war ended, we all went to our usual. Uh, routines. I was always fascinated by graphic design, by comics, especially by commercials. For some reason, I always liked commercials. You know, when, when others were uh, leaving during commercial breaks, I was always watching them. I was yeah, always fascinated. I was, like yeah. I was always fascinated by, by shining images and so on. So I applied to Academy of Fine Arts, studied there for four years, yes. successfully finishing it. And um, one of my professors, Bayan Hachikalilovic, who is founder of Fabrica Advertising Agency, called me and we started this cooperation which lasts for 17 years. What was it like in the city those first months, weeks when you were presumably wondering if it was going to hold because it was rickety, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After three and a half years, you, you, don't, believe you, think, you don't believe it. Exactly. Yeah. When it started, you live under the impression it, it is going to end every day. Any day. Any day, yes. Yeah. When it stopped, at some point you have impression that it will never stop. When it stopped, you can't believe it. Yes. You can't believe it. You think it's very fragile. So it took us time to get into this peace routine. Yeah. It took us, let's say... A year. A, a year, probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we had a curfew. It was until nine. So after the, the peace was signed, we had a curfew, I think, for, for one year. Amazing. And so the, the Fabrica company, tell me a little bit about where that came from, like how, how that set up. Uh, it was originally founded, I think, in 1984, okay. but wasn't active until 1997, I think, when okay. it was opened again. And uh, from that time, it functions like a full-service advertising agency with uh, media department, web department, graphic design, and video production. Okay. And I'm sure advertising is... 
one of the last things to start coming <laughs> coming back after after a, after a war situation. Sorry, I'm a bit jaundiced. You know, I'm yeah, a bit yeah, cynical yeah. about advertising. Yeah. But was it difficult to justify? Oh, I'm in advertising. Or was that part of? Was that part and parcel of this rebuilding that we, we talked yeah, about? Yeah, I have to. I wasn't part of uh, the agency when the, those first uh, steps were made. Yeah. But I know the, the, the stories about how they had to, to persuade clients, to, to educate clients about the importance of advertising. At first, with the end of the war, rebuilding started so there was a need for a lot of poster promotional materials for different actions after that came first mobile mobile devices you know first refreshment drinks coca-cola rebuilt its factory in sarajevo first companies were started and we were sort of one of of the first agencies that started i remember my friend uh, amla who you know uh, she's bosnian from sarajevo as well and she said to me years ago she said oh McDonald's will never come to Sarajevo and neither will Starbucks because the Bosnian fast food is so much better and I said I bet you it will within five years she goes no it won't I won't be allowed in and so we had a bet by 2000 sure enough McDonald's have two branches here but they had more which have closed down but uh, yeah, so that's so, but I suppose that gives a confidence back to the yeah. city in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, when you I share your seeing. opinion. I mean, there's fast food literally every corner on, of of Sarajevo, you know, and Burek, Chavapčići, and so on are in our tradition. So yeah, Chavapi is, is it's, like a sausage yeah. meat with yeah. with pita bread. It's delicious. And it's much cheaper, right? It's, McDonald's it's is expensive. Much here. cheaper, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was it was sort of a joke. McDonald's could never function here because yeah. it's like a it's here. like a treat. McDonald's is like yeah. like for a fancy meal. Yeah, and we were I think we are one of the last countries which hosted McDonald's. Still no Starbucks. No Starbucks. Yeah. No Starbucks. I I don't know. I, I'm probably the only Bosnian that likes Starbucks. Yeah. I know I when I go abroad and I said to Bosnians I, I would like to go and drink Starbucks coffee they look me like why? So the coffee here is like more, more like a Greek coffee like it's a sandy kind of yeah right, like shop like traditional most of the coffee is traditional Italian espresso yeah and we have that cult of we call it Turkish coffee I don't know which yes because the Turks drink tea yeah. let's call it Balkan tradition, you okay, know. Okay. We have that cult of coffee. It's yeah. it's whole ritual. Right. You know, when Bosnian is drinking coffee, it's not like five minute coffee. Yeah. It's hour and a half. Yes, yes. Okay. You know, okay. everything stops. He, he right. drinks his coffee for hour and a half. It's part of social ritual. Yeah. So you talk about these social rituals, and there's a lot of cultural stuff. So when the country reformed, or, or when the peace came, there were still three ethnically different groups and there still are today making up the whole country how did things like the music culture the culture of storytelling culture of food did that start to gel back together a bit or as it kept distant I think that all habits have never uh, disappeared music that was good during the 80s during former Yugoslavia continued to be great even after the war, you know, yes. popular singers or musicians first started to, to visit other countries, you know. That cooperation started almost immediately, you mm. know. The 
economy started uh, its cooperation. So the only thing where we stuck is politics. Yeah. So politics here is, is as I said earlier, uh, every four years a different prime minister representing one of these uh, three primary ethnic peoples comes to power. And so the problem they're having is you're only in for four years, you try and do something and then you get replaced by somebody else who then comes in with a different agenda and meanwhile nothing really gets done, right? Yeah. Or everything gets half done. What about sport? Did sport... Sport you defined very quickly, you know, the major sport here is football. At first it started with three different leagues, Bosnian League, Serb League, really Bosnian League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, Bosnian League, which was recognized by FIFA, by UEFA. When you are recognized by FIFA and UEFA, you had that ability to go into UEFA Cups. Uh, UEFA doesn't recognize ethnic leagues. Okay. So they quickly they realized the if we want to go out, <laughs> yeah. if we want to play European matches, we have to be part of Bosnian uh, League. So okay. it was... Money it was, talks again. Yeah, money talks and... Some of the Serb players, if they have opportunity, and Croat players, if they have during past two decades, if they had ability to play for Croatia or for Serbia national teams, they chose them. But then things are changing, yeah. and now today our team is mixture of yeah, yeah. all ethnicities. You know, good old sport. Good old sport. Do you feel like there's a chance that eventually the government may follow suit or do you think we're stuck in this in this quagmire I think we are stuck yeah, I think we are stuck because it, most of the people don't see alternative yeah. you know if you see alternative how we can solve it we would vote for them but yeah. there are some some lights that it's very hard to change old habits in in Bosnian culture you know each time the elections come, national parties are playing that uh, national yeah, card. It can't be helpful. You yeah. know, they raise tensions. Yes, and you feel like you have to vote for them. So they mobilize its its voter, uh, voters during elections. After they vote, you have. It seems like a, a another four lost years. Yeah, and, and it also seems like a system that every four years you're reminded. Yeah. about your ethnicity yeah. and encouraged yeah. to yeah. vote for it, which it, is silly. It's a silly. It's a silly thing. So Bosnia is a uh, Bosnia and Sarajevo are uh, is the Bosniaks are primarily Muslim. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how the city and the country feels about the rise of Islamicism, the, the what's going on in Syria, how much of a threat. Because of course, people like ISIS, their first uh, enemy are, are apostate Muslims, and again, the 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 Islam that's practiced in. Bosnia is very tolerant and is very uh, accepting of other people and there's absolutely no sort of bigotry that I can see anyway. So how do, you, how do you feel here about that as a sort of a country? You can, you can witness how, uh, how Bosnia works, how, what kind of Islam this is. All of the Bosnians don't support Islamism. Yeah. Well, they are jihadism and yeah. they don't support they are very I think they are very angry because it's called Islamic fundamentalism it, it has nothing to do with Islam right it's like calling Catholic terrorism because of the IRA or I, yeah. I don't know yeah. it's bad people doing bad things is there not a case to be made though that the ISIS 
in particular is religious zealotry, is, is, is really demanding that Islam goes back to the 800s and goes back to the time, you know, that goes back to the basic yeah. principles. So, yeah. it, I mean, it is, I think Al-Qaeda and some of the other ones are more about power and oil and stuff, yeah. but this one seems to be very much religious I mean, again, you're right. If the, if some Catholic sect suddenly started going back to yeah. the Bible, which is equally violent in places that we sweep under the table and know it's not right, but there is that little element to it which is a bit disturbing, no? You can see that people here are not are more into this modern kind of, yes. uh, of yes, Islam, yes. which which you can see in Turkey, for example, yes. Egypt. Which is, Egypt, exactly. We are trying to build a secular country. Secular country yeah. We still feel the wounds of the, of the war that was here 20 years ago. What happens there is very far from us. Yeah. People here are stuck in their own problems, in their own politics, in their own struggle for, for existence. Yeah. And they don't feel the crisis, which is evident, Probably, if there there are attacks in Bosnia, we will be more cautious about threat of it. But yeah. he, people here are more into its own problems. No one really thinks so much about crisis in. Well, I mean, I just on this trip, I've been to Muscat, and then I went to Dubai, then Istanbul, and now here, and I've been to Cairo before. But yeah, there is this. You know, they're, they're probably some of the better cities and places that I visited from an ability to have conversations, ability to talk about um, secularism, modernism, about live and let live, all the things that we need to talk about. And, yeah. You know, again, there's hysteria in, in the West, and particularly in America. So anyway, I think we'll, we'll rumble on. But I hear you. I mean, I was more interested in whether the, you know, if, if ISIS started targeting Istanbul or, you know, Cairo because they're more moderate, if that was, was, was a threat. You got married? Yeah. And you have a baby? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, tell me about that bit. That's the positive bit. <laughs> that was the positive bit. Yeah, yeah. I have a two-year-old ah. and a wife, life of my life. Great. Uh, it's a whole new experience. I'm expecting new baby at October. Okay. That'll be fun. I know it's it sounds pathetic, but I I found new meaning of life. Before that, I was very angry when I had a misprint, you know, or yeah, I, I, yeah. I couldn't find idea for a good ad. Yeah. Now I think that that was that was. It's not important. It's not important. Yeah. 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 I found something, some new meaning of. of There's it. a great part of the whole story that is the children. Right, yeah, which yeah, is exactly. which is the future of this country, and yeah. and hopefully it's a bit like Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. The, the new generation is what will hopefully get taught differently. How do you feel, given this, the new arrivals in your life and the new responsibilities? Do you feel confident about the future? Pessimistic, optimistic. Well, I'm, depending on the day, you know, I have uh, mood swings. Depending on the day, <laughs> I'm very frightened about their future, especially in Bosnia, because of the whole situation. So you still you have know, a feeling it might go off again, or is it more? My fears are about economic reasons, oh, economic. about okay. Okay. safety reasons, and so on. There's a say I don't know who said it that every. 50 years there's a new war in Balkans mm. so I had mine probably if that 
realizes my, my son will have one, will have one and uh, that frightens me. Yes. When you go to, through Balkan history, that's Balkan and Sarajevo, of course, was where Franz Ferdinand was shot yeah. to start the First World War. If you go through Balkan history, you realize that that is true. I, I'm, I'm very frightened about the economy. I'm very frightened about... Again and again, people here don't think about ISIS, Middle East, and so on. We have uh, own our problems. own problems, yeah. exactly. We don't have global problems mm. here. There's a, there's a joke, even economic crisis won't, won't harm us because we are in crisis all, all, the, time. Time, all the time. <laughs> what about the positive pieces about it? I mean, you just said you have found a new reason to live, the apple of your, of your eye. So there's this element. And what are the positive pieces about the future? Positive pieces are coming on an everyday basis, you know, when he looks looks at you, when he smiles at you, when there's a certain words he says, words he says you yeah. know, when my football team wins yeah. and so on. <laughs> so there are positive steps. We are frustrated that they don't go faster. It goes very slowly. Mm. Again and again, there's a quote that Bosnians, ironic quote that Bosnians are usually uh, telling. It's good while we don't shoot, while, while there's no war. Everything is Let better the good than... Times run. Yeah, everything is good. Just, Just don't fight. Don't fight. <laughs> when economy doesn't work, okay, at least it's not war. Yes. When there's uh, something it's else, at least there's no, there's no war. It's perspective, yeah, yeah. and everything. So when you look at things at, at, from that perspective, it's great. This is maybe a hard question, but what would, just to finish, what would you, looking back, say to your younger self at 16 or 17 before it all took off? What would you have said? Get out of the country, leave? What would you have said to yourself? Hmm, I'm not sure. At that age, I was young. I wanted. Fearless. No, I, I wasn't fearless. Mm-hmm. I wasn't fearless. Uh, the thing is, when the war started, you know, we all had, like you, certain perspective about war that comes from, from movies, you know. At the beginning of war, the, the, the city was full of Rambo type of guys, you know, that were going with, through the city with guns, with the sunglasses, muscles, and so on. <laughs> but on the front line, the bravery, the real bravery, come from most unexpected persons, from ordinary guys. I'm not sure that I could forgive myself if I left the city at the beginning. Okay, running you away, know, running away. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I will. I, maybe it sounds it sounds stupid, but I will always have that in in my subconscious that I left. So and now in your subconscious you have that you actually yeah, stood up, you stood up. I stood up. Well, it was hard experience, but it was experience. I, I grew up overnight, you know, yes. I was a boy, and then a man. boy yeah. living with my parents and I grew up overnight. Yeah, yeah. And is there any wisdom that you would pass on to the the 18 year old of today who's growing up in the here <laughs> should leave <laughs> that is wisdom that is you know Before that, you is, have that to is a rational thing to do <laughs> yeah. 
Believe. All right. Well, listen, that was a great chat. Amir Mergiliak, that was fantastic. It was uh, my first uh, interview with uh, somebody who is very, very capable of speaking English as a second language, despite what he said at the top of the show. I wish you all the best. Good luck with your new arrival. Good luck with the uh, History Museum project. I saw that. It was fantastic. And uh, here's hoping that Fabrica can win some awards in the international show. We hope so. We hope so. Amir, thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you.